in the song that we just sang, you heard that line, you sang that line, Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. When you hear that line, that, that, that statement about casting your burdens on Christ, you are hearing the message of so many songs. As you know, on Communion Sunday, we start with a shorter homily in one of the psalms as we move towards the Lord's table. And our psalm this week is Psalm 17. I'm going to read it. And I'm going to answer, after I read it, I'm going to answer a question that's fair to ask. Why does God give us the prayers of the suffering saints of old? Why does God give us the prayers of the suffering saints of old? So you're hearing a bit of a testimony, listening to the prayer. I've told in this church before the story of being a boy and, and living in a lower-level apartment building in Rockford where a guy above us we called, my mom and I, maybe more mainly me, called Grandpa Moses because he seemed so old to me. But as a fourth and fifth and sixth grade boy, his bedroom was, was right above mine, and I could hear his prayers at night because he couldn't hear well, and he prayed out loud. And I remember literally being formed in God's beautiful providence by the prayers of a 90-some-year-old man as this fourth, fifth, sixth grade boy was listening to his prayers. God gives us the prayers of our suffering saints for us to listen to how they speak of God, direct us to God, and have us trust in God. So listen with that in mind to Psalm 17. If you have your Bibles, you can look with me. I hope, I hope you do. Hear me, Lord. My plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people try to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent through what your lips have commanded. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me, they close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. They have tracked me down. They now surround me with eyes alert to throw me to the ground. They are like a lion hungry for prey, like a fierce lion crouching in cover. Rise up, Lord. Confront them. Bring them down. With your sword, rescue me from the wicked. By your hand, save me from such people, Lord. From those of this world whose reward is in this life. May what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. 
May their children gorge themselves on it, and may there be leftovers for their little ones. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. There's a lot there. A lot of different statements or phrases that we could reflect upon. But this morning, I just want to spend a few minutes answering the question, why does God give us the prayers of the suffering saints of old? There's three reasons. The first is this, because not everyone who comes to church is full of joy and happiness. Listen carefully to the cry that opens the psalm there in verse 1. And think of this as somebody not praying on a beautiful beachside, but somebody in anguish. Hear me, Lord. My plea is just. Listen to my cry. Many people come to church with great burdens, both physical and spiritual. In this room, in this service, or the next, there will be people with severe sickness and disease. There will be people with marital problems, financial difficulties, anxiety and depression, pressure at work, even situations of harassment, abuse, or persecution. Yet we live in a culture, I think you know this, that is allergic to sadness. It's allergic to brokenness, and it tries to deny death. That can form us in ways that we don't realize. We want everything to be okay, and we can struggle to deal with the reality of our broken world. Notice the Bible's not afraid to deal with a broken world or to guide God's children through their difficulties. But even churches can front load happy endings in the ears of their congregants. Things like the victorious life or the perfect family, as if that is what Christianity produces. What faith in Christ somehow should offer. All of that is a prosperity gospel light, if we're not careful. This explains, I think, I think this explains why Christians often expect to know a reason or purpose behind every act of suffering. It's as if suffering is an an anomaly to them. As if it's strange. How could this happen? As if this isn't a broken sinful, stricken world. Do we do the reverse? When things are going well, do we ask, how is that possible? How is it that we have a sunny day? Or how is it that my belly is full? We don't ask it when it's full. We ask it when it's empty. We don't ask for purpose and why. On the good days, we only ask it on the bad as if the bad is an anomaly. This psalm teaches us to look mercifully at our broken world and even to see our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting. That may not be you today, but guaranteed it is somebody sitting within reach. But even still, this psalm says to you who come broken today, it's normal. It's okay. 
It fits a Christian worldview and a Christian experience. In fact, God specifically wrote this psalm to minister to you. How to deal with suffering that doesn't feel like it's going away. Or the burden of a broken world that surrounds you. Or that moment of crisis when you have no one to turn to but God. This psalm says, yes, God is present. You can trust him, sister or brother. God is there. You can make him your refuge. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A second reason why God gives us the prayers of the suffering saints of old might simply be because by praying this psalm, those of us who have no problems or difficulties, or at least not now, can learn to sympathize with those in trouble and pray for those who are suffering or persecuted. Questions to ponder to apply this might be this. How does our culture's allergy to suffering and death catechize us to avoid it or not to see the lives of those around us? Is it possible that by living in the wealthiest country in the world and in a middle-class suburb of Rockford that we fail to see suffering around us? These questions aren't meant to make us feel guilty. Enjoy the common grace gifts of God. These questions do, however, demand that we think about how such common graces of God may have limited our ability to think of others over ourselves or to sympathize with the broken and the hurting. Let that not be us. The Bible teaches us that sin has an inward bent. It causes us to love ourselves and to think of ourselves. Just be aware of that. Your inward bent, like a gravity, the inward bent of the flesh until Christ redeems and purifies all of us. The inward bent is self-focus and self-concern. That is why, notice the logic of God's command, love your neighbor as yourself. Like he's assuming you know the as yourself really well, instinctively. And he's wanting to leverage that inward self-interest outward. He knows who we are instinctively able to love. And he wants us to use that in an outward way. So we need to pray, brothers and sisters, that God would transform us by his spirit to sympathize with those who are hurting or suffering. And and let me just say this as we gather on a Sunday morning and especially as we come to the table, and this table is not just depicting the vertical connection that you have with God through Christ as much as it does communicate that, but the fact that we all take this together and not in private stalls or like with to-go bags to go home, right? The fact that we all take this together is because there's this horizontal reality that when we take this, we take this as a family meal. That I am your brother and you are my brother or sister. And we have joined our lives together through Christ as part of one family, the children of God. 
So when you come to church, please hear this. As much as it is for you to learn and to grow and to receive, you are literally here to be a minister to your siblings. And every single Sunday, there should be a plethora of conversations with arms around one another, hands on the shoulder, hugs and praying, caring for one another, watching out for the widow or the person who's an orphan, caring for those in financial need, arranging to fulfill needs of people to one another because these are your siblings. And if you're coming to church without that bent, you're going against the very directive that God gives. You did not come here just to be a consumer. You actually came here also to be a minister. And there's a ton of ministry sitting in this room. And that's just not for a professional person or a paid staff member. That's just for the body of Christ to live out. The last reason that I'd like to share this morning, why does God give us the prayers of the suffering saints of old? Because thirdly, we need to remember in both good and hard days that God is our only refuge and that he will bring forth justice for his people and over all the earth. The Bible tells us the beginning of the story, a broken world, but it also tells us the end, a redeemed world. And I gave you in your notes this lengthy passage in Revelation 21, and I would tell you, like a GPS on your phone that's directing every step you take or way you turn, this should be in your spiritual GPS. This is the direction of the world. I won't read it all. I wanted you to have it all, but, but, but I'll read verses 3 and 4. This is what the Lord says to his church now in, the, in light of the future. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. It's like he's telling the church to look at this. It's like he's telling the, 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 the writer of Psalm 17, look at this truth. God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is what the psalmist is praying to. In our text today, verses 6 to 8. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. That's exactly what Revelation 21 is depicting. God will do this. Our true refuge is in God. Or the end of our psalm today, verses 14 and 15. By your hand, save me from such people, Lord. From those of this world whose reward is in this life. May what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. I mean, the end of our passage there in Revelation 21 is talking about 
Verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It will come. There will be justice. And shalom. But our psalmist says, as for me, I will be vindicated. And I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. So why did the psalmist want us to hear the prayers of the saints? Because we need to know that a broken, fallen world and your experience of that brokenness is not an anomaly. And that the sadness or the struggles or the difficulties that all of us face in now or in the past or forthcoming, God knows that. That we can trust in Him. He can be our refuge. And the psalmist teaches us how to grab onto Christ without it all being resolved, without everything being taken away, without the full redemption yet. With, 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 with the not yet still in place, there is an already I can grab onto Christ. And that even it might encourage us, just maybe, especially on a communion Sunday, to look around and to see somebody who is hurting or broken. Or even just to look for them. Or just to come with the assumption, I'm not here to watch a movie. I'm not here just to learn content. I am as much a minister as anybody in this building, and my brothers and sisters need my ministry. Or, today I need to be ministered to. And maybe the people around you are the ones assigned by God to do just that. And it was the prayer of a faithful saint of old. That God let his children listen on to. That taught us just that. Let's pray. Lord, we can forget that we are ministers. All of us. And that the church needs all of us. All hands on deck to be serving and loving and caring for one another. Lord, help us. To look to the people on our right and our left. To look for the downtrodden and the broken. To grab their hand. Touch their shoulder. To hug and embrace. To support and care. Just as scripture speaks about Christ's rebuke of those not feeding the hungry. And blanketing the cold. Caring for the widows. And the orphans. Father, may that not be us. May we have learned from our own experiences of suffering. And may we just hear the prayer of the psalmist direct us to see the broken world around us. And Lord, for those who have come today brokenhearted, may the psalmist's prayer be their own. That they may see, as verse 7 says, the wonders of your great love. 
that they may see you save them by your right hand as they take refuge in you, that they may know that you, that they are the apple of your eye, and they may hide themselves in the shadow of your wings, because you are a merciful God who is mighty to save. Christ has defeated every sin. Help us all now, right now today, to take refuge in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.